0: KBCC episode 30, my realization of the day. Megan is Missing has recently went viral, tricking thousands of TikTokers into thinking it was real. Nine years later, the power of found footage. If they thought skater dude Josh was scary, I don't even want them to find the Poughkeepsie tapes. Not sure the Gen Zers could handle it. I mean, shit, a lot of people can't handle it. Which is why it is the perfect film to close out Lost and Found Month here on. The Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is your boy Devon Taylor aka underscore daddy disco on Twitter and Instagram and this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club episode 30. Super happy that uh, the podcast has made it this far even though I did kind of I fucked up this month guys. I got a little bit behind. I was busy with some other projects and I just couldn't I just couldn't uh, juggle all the things equally, and of course, the podcast suffered for it. However, I am like pretty proud of myself, though, for doing this podcast for the past five months, and this was the first time I went without releasing an episode for longer than a week. And, I mean, the past two episodes are out now, and this episode is a week later than it was supposed to be, But, you know, it's whatever. Shit happens. And I'm glad you guys are here rolling with me because we are going to close out Lost and Found Month. Our entire month talking about found footage movies with one of my more recent favorites, a film that I finally got to this year after years and years and years of anticipation of wanting to watch the Poughkeepsie tapes and I'm super excited for the guests that we have on for this episode as well. Um, I am talking to Joe and Trace aka the Horror Queers. They're hosts of the Horror Queers podcast, a podcast that I listen to on a weekly basis. I have been for the past year and a half or so. And they are also just two um, people in the horror community that I really look up to, especially, you know, representing for the queer horror aspects of it. You know, I think, you know, inadvertently, a lot of the times that I'm talking queer themes and subtext and things in the films that we're covering here on the Blade Blunt Cinema Club, a lot of that is from things that I've learned and have listened to and have learned to look at horror films in a slightly different way because of the horror queers. So I am very excited to have them on the podcast. We are talking the Poughkeepsie tapes, and it is a super good one. So I am excited for you guys to listen to it, and we will be covering cold movies, cold and holiday horror movies all of December. So I am ready to get back on track. With new episodes every week, every Tuesday. Make sure you guys are subscribed on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform, but specifically Apple Podcasts, because if you're listening there, you can go on there and leave me a nice little five star review just so that way other people can find the show and listen to it and all that jazz, especially after I took kind of a little unintended break i could use the numbers again guys so go on to apple podcast please leave a five-star itunes review but without further ado let's get to our conversation with the horror queers all righty and we are here with our special guests for the episode um, we we it took us so many tries to make this happen, and we but we persisted because I was like I gotta get these guys on like the uh, these two guests are two people I very much look up to in the podcast world, and it had also been like just really looking forward to doing some sort of collaboration with, and then that is the two hosts of the Horror Queers podcast. I have Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman. Say hello, everybody.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Hi. <laughs> I don't know why I said everybody, I don't know if I was telling you to say hello to everybody, or if I was, like, saying everybody to you guys, but, you know, that's like... It all works. (laughs) It's like those times whenever you tell the movie theater worker to, like, enjoy the movie as well, and you're like, wait a second. Yes. You too. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You too. I mean, what? (laughs) I know, and and they're just like, oh, oh, yes. I I wonder how many times they hear that throughout the day, but...
1: I mean, Joe and I have both worked in movie. Because, Joe, you worked in movie theater, right? I did for many years, yeah. yeah as did I. And, uh, yeah, you told that a lot, and it was always funny. It
2: is. And they always look perplexed like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. And you're like, no, you're fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's just also like I've done it, I think, extra times because obviously I go and watch movies super stone most of the time. So I'm usually already making a fool out of myself. I remember. Um, my my favorite one i I did I, I said it this time on purpose because I, I was like I was really stoned and I was just like shaking with the amount of noise of snacks that I had on me. and I had like sweatpants where you could just see like outlines of everything and then and then in my stone brain, I just go, what are they gonna say to me exactly. so
1: so you do first time viewings of movies stoned
0: um uh, a, a good amount of the time. Ah. yes, I used yeah.
2: to oh.
0: I mean, as my it was as my tolerance went up, because mm-hmm. initially, yeah, I I would initially be like, okay, I'm gonna watch a movie straight up, and then I will come back to it later, stone. But then, right. I mean, I smoking is just so ingrained to my like everyday life that mm-hmm. like doing things not stone gets weird to me now because now I'm just like, <laughs> then I'm thinking too much and stuff. But then I don't know. My reasoning behind like watching movies super stoned is like it, I'm like I don't know maybe my third eye will open something up I'm gonna miss something that someone else didn't catch or
1: I, I I mean it's just we all have different brains like I I I can't imagine watching a movie stoned and like retaining things from it like I I don't know but I, I'm I'm not like a huge stoner so I've just never been like one I mean, I'll do it like when I'm watching American Dad and South Park and stuff like that's mm. when I get stoned. <laughs> Yeah, but if yeah, you're like trying I can't to. I can imagine
2: watching something serious. Like if I was going into a Marvel film, I might say, Oh wow, yeah, I'll I'll just get, you know, a little wrecked and then go in and it'll just be fine.
0: I mean, yeah, like there's definitely you get the different experiences out of it mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I remember I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Um, but I was not just uh, high on the weeds. I was high on some other. Oh, days. you did
1: you did some hallucinogens. Ooh, that was <laughs> that's a tricky movie for that. That was a good. No, I time. think it's a good movie for that. <laughs> but
0: I think I think the most perfect movie though was I went and saw Kong Skull Island on like loaded up on edibles and yeah. I had such an absolute blast during that. Could I give you a an analysis on it? Probably not. I mean, but. I,
1: I think that's my thing is because even if I'm not, like, reviewing it for a publication, like, I still go to my letterbox and give it a score. And I wouldn't feel like had I seen the movie for the first time Stone, I would be qualified to give it an actual, like, legitimate score that reflects my feelings. <laughs> God. I
0: mean... You're so beholden
1: to your audience. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I gotta, I gotta stay true to myself. You gotta stay true no matter what. Um, uh. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a funny thing because I, I definitely get, like very different experiences of it. Cause like, yeah, say, um, I remember the very first, the first time that I watched, uh, you were never really here. I was pretty stoned for that. And that oh made God. for like a very, like, I felt like I was like in it, you know, like That's it was the like Joaquin Phoenix one, right? Yeah. The walking Phoenix oh movie. <laughs> and, Oh man, I absolutely loved it. But like, cause it like had that like perfect, you know, like kind of cerebralism um to it so it like you know did add to that and then like i totally just was i i more was thinking myself like through the movie in joe's situation like in the film you know and um i don't know so i think that's where i like kind of what i got out of that from that high experience versus something else you know all right i'm an incessant note taker though too so i mean that does help for for the analyses The I'm very lazy.
2: I'm stoned. Not in the dark. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I'm a uh, I'm a multitasker for sure. So we do have a super fantastic movie to talk about today. We it was a first time watch for Joe. This was a second time watch for me, and like my first time was pretty recently as well. Trace, how many times have you seen it?
1: This is probably my sixth or seventh time seeing Ooh, this movie. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, say, at least double, yeah, nearing double digits. I mean, I'm sure you'll go through like the release troubles this film had. And while I will never, ever, ever support piracy in any shape, way, or form, I will say that a friend of mine did have a copy of this film, a bootleg of it. I mean, probably like around 2012, 2013, 2012, probably, and I had watched it then. So, um, yeah. but I do have the Blu-ray now, so I, I, I paid my dues. <laughs>
0: You know, I think the the, the weird release date like kind of adds to like the whole like found footage lore of it all. So, we will mm-hmm. definitely get into that in a minute, but before we get into our featured movie for the episode, we want to get to know Trace and Joe a little bit. So, you guys host the Horror Queers podcast. Have you of course you guys know this. But <laughs> um and so did you guys start with doing the Horror Queers um like tandem articles first before the podcast right or was it vice versa?
2: We started with the articles, so I had seen that Trace was writing for Bloody, and he seemed like he was the only other out-writer on the site.
1: At the so time, I I might have... Oh, wait, seemed, no, Chris. Right.
2: Uh, the most obvious out-writer, then, we'll put it that way. Yeah. So I ended up approaching Trace... And asking him if he wanted to collaborate on a series of articles. So we started doing that. And then I took the year to work away at him and be like, you know what? This would work really well as a podcast. We should try it. And once we started podcasting, we realized that's actually a better fit for the way that we interact with each other. I mean, I really enjoyed doing the the article series, but... Over time, it became obvious that we could have better conversation if we could actually like interject and build on each other's ideas and not wait for the other person to write back.
1: I mean, to be fair, Joe always wanted to do a podcast. I was always pulled out. I was like, I don't know how to do that. We you live in Canada. I live in Texas. Like, I don't I don't want to learn to edit again. Uh, (laughs) So but in hindsight, like it's 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 a better choice for us because it definitely like you're able to have those longer conversations.
2: Yeah. yeah. Basically, what he's saying is that all the good ideas come from me, and I just have to convince
1: him of it. Well, he does come up with the <laughs> ideas. Sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're bad. And I will, I will feel whatever way. Hey, lies, lies.
0: In in a creative partnership, there's always got to be. See, so you can't have two pushers. There's got there's there's mm-hmm. a pusher and a pushy. And so you know the the dynamic works. Uh, however, it's going to work itself out. You know, because if you had two pushers and you guys were both too overly enthusiastic. Right. Maybe it wouldn't have happened or maybe, you know, who <laughs> knows. But um you guys do just like have such a wonderful dynamic. I enjoyed the articles because I had um I was like introduced to your guys' stuff through your writing. Cause Joe, you wrote for Nightmare on Film Street for a little bit, right? If Very I'm... briefly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's just the I think that's just the only way that I like it uh, started following you at the time. But um so yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed the written articles, but then yeah, it's like the the back and forth is like cool when you're like doing it in writing but of course like you get like so much more out of it on the podcast and it's been like super cool to see you guys like grow and like how many like super cool guests you guys have had on and like and again with like the scheduling thing is because you guys are like busy you guys like pump out like so much (laughs) bonus content and like yeah and doing the the film (laughs) festival stuff now as well and like you know, it's it's super crazy, so it's, like, very impressive. Like, absolutely love the podcast. So, if you guys haven't checked out the Horror Queers podcast, you what are you doing? Click out this podcast now and go <laughs> listen to their podcast, then come back to it. But, um, so, we also, to get to know our guests a little bit better, we always ask them to bring in a couple recommendations, whether it be, like, a uh, a recent watch or a hidden gem that they want to talk about before we actually, like, get into the meat of the episode, um, who has an interesting pick that wants to go first?
1: I w- so I I know you said we didn't have to pick a found footage one, um, but I went ahead and did because it's okay. almost guarantee that most people probably either haven't seen or don't know what this one is. God, um, if it's the den, I'm just gonna
2: like mute no, myself for 20 minutes. I I I,
1: I no the den, so I actually had that on the possibility list. I was like, no, Joe's heard me talk about the den way too much. <laughs> Because that's always my recommendation is the den. But um, no, I'm actually going to go with the McPherson tape, a.k.a. UFO Abduction. It is uh, a... Pre- well, so it's not the first found footage horror film. I think most people consider Cannibal Holocaust from 1980 to be the first found footage horror film. But it's one of the more effective ones that would kind of take the... like, Because people always... What what people attribute Blair Witch for doing... The McPherson tape actually did first. It was just so small. I don't think a lot of eyes saw it. Um, it is a 66-minute-long found footage film from 1989 that is made to look like a genuine 1983 like home videotape, and it basically just depicts the events of a little girl's fifth birthday party as the entirety of the family is abducted by aliens. And oh, God, it it's like, it was made for like 6500 bucks um distribution was really a problem with it it only hit uh DVD for the first time in 2018 uh but the uh, American genre film archive just released a blu-ray of it this year uh with like the director's cut and stuff but it's basically like it does what Blair witch does where it's like, kind of slow like you're just like watching a family like at a party but then the moment that they find the aliens it's just like this holy shit it's terrifying and it's really really effective and god bless that 66 minute runtime.
0: <laughs> Ooh, lean and mean with 66 minutes. Um, always into that. And I was talking with a guest a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, Zoe from the uh, Zobo with a Shotgun podcast that mm-hmm. I wish there were more found footage alien movies because I just feel like there's not enough of them. And for some reason, the the subgenre like lends itself really well to aliens.
1: And I think, but it's always been leaning into slashers, right? Like you get, a, or, um, I guess really super na- no, super natural, I think supernatural. no, supernatural. we're getting a lot yeah. of supernatural found footage because God knows, but you're right. I, I would agree with you because I think there's, there's a natural fear of aliens that, I mean, well, I guess it exists for supernatural too, but I, I, yeah, I, I agree
2: with you. I think that's creepy. I think that aliens are harder to pull off with a limited budget though. Cause you don't want to end up with shitty looking little green or gray yeah. men, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's a, a higher risk factor than just being like, oh, we pause the camera, we move all the furniture, and then we
1: say, ooh, there's a but, ghost. <laughs> but, to, but to latch on to what Devon said, though, but th- that's where your found footage, like, shitty camera work comes in. You know, you hide, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You hide it that way.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, But I feel like you too appreciate found footage a lot more than me. Like, it's not one of my favorite of the subgenres, but I think you would agree that it can be done well, and it can also be done really badly. Like, people misconstrue, oh, I just grab a camera and start shooting, and you're yeah. like, no, you have to have a plan. Like, it's, you still mm-hmm. have a shot list, and you need to think about how it's going to be executed. Hard to do well, easy to fuck up. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah 100%. Like, the, the thing that I always keep touching on when it comes to talking about found footage films is like what separates them is like the, the purpose of why you're making this a found footage film. Because mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. they, it doesn't mm. like I mean, like you said, anyone can do a movie. And how many times have we seen that same intro of, OK, from uh, here on out, I'm recording everything because it's weird right now. And then that's the only reason they're filming, you know, like versus when you have like a good framing device, like, you know, we'll kind of get into the one for the Poughkeepsie tapes on, (laughs) I'm sure there'll be a little debate there. But, um, yeah. but as far as, like, you know, the framing device versus, like, uh, something like Grave Encounters that's, like, you know, doing the mm-hmm. the parody form of, like, Ghost Hunters and, like, okay, now they have a very specific purpose for, like, why they're doing it, how they're getting the angles that they get and stuff yeah. like
1: that. It, the, 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 the whole, um, why are they still filming this thing is you almost know? on par with now what we're getting with, like, oh, like... I have no cell. Phone. How are, how are I have no cell phone reception. So like, how are screenwriters finding a way out of the? Why can't they use their cell phones? Is the same thing as like, how do we f- explain why they're still filming these things? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, we you you can get pretty creative with it. If but like you said, yeah, it is just like very easy to fuck up because so many people do it. It's so cheap, and mm-hmm. you know it is what it is. And I think. Um, the, after, like, we kind of got, like, a height of found footage, like, around more similarly, like, when this came out, like, in the early, like, 2010s, I think we've, Mm -hmm. like, kind of simmered down now, and then, like, when we get something, um, you know, like that, I think it's for more interesting purposes versus, like, before people kind of just doing it just because they could, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Mm. what is, um, one of your picks, Joe, to uh, talk about?
2: Alright, so I decided to go with a more recent film because I I wanted to give it a bit of a leg up. I'm afraid that not a lot of people will have seen it by the end of this year. So this is actually a 2020 film, but it's still partially in keeping with our theme today. It's a movie called Rent-A-Pal by John Stevenson. He's a writer and director on the film And this is a movie that people would probably only have on their radar because Will Wheaton has a cameo in it. It's basically, uh, it's set in 1990 and it's about a bachelor. He's a little bit overweight. He is taking care of his mother who has dementia. And it is a proper film, but he is subscribed to like an early video dating service. Like you would. Sign up with this site, and then they would, well, not even a site because it's not the internet. You call into this business, and then you would pick up tapes that you would like record yourself talking, uh, kind of like the lowered expectations gig on Mad TV from back
1: in the day. But uh, he ends up, <laughs> I was Go like, ahead. Devon, have you seen Mad TV?
0: <laughs> oh, I've seen Mad TV, but I'm just oh, trying yeah. to wrap my head around this like movie premise right now. I'm like, wait,
2: what? I haven't even gotten to it yet. <laughs> so, so he ends up going in to pick up a tape and it turns out that there's been a mistake like this guy he's your quintessential kind of loser dude and he ends up grabbing a tape from a kind of discount bin next to the checkout and it's called rent-a-pal and it's will wheaton just delivering a conversation to the screen and the idea is that you would talk back and pretend that this person is your friend so the the found footage bit is Will Wheaton having this conversation. And the fun thing about rent a the film, is that over time, obviously this guy goes a little bit crazy and some bad shit happens. But the way that the Will Wheaton sections of the tape are interspersed and how they comment on what's actually happening in this guy's life as he slowly goes crazy is really interesting and creative and fun. I think my my problem with the film is that it doesn't do anything that you don't expect it to do. Like, you know right away where it's going to end. But I liked the creativity of that.
0: Huh. I do. I like the creativity of that as well. Like, because I feel like, you know, I've run out of like my found footage, like recommendations. Because by the end of this month, I've already given out all my favorite ones. Um, But I'm glad that you two uh, both brought some options that I can check out that like just the the premise of it mm-hmm. um i've i've mentioned this on like other things before i don't know if i've mentioned it on this podcast but i had this idea for an app an app that could go horribly wrong very fast okay. um but it was it was a uh, kind of like an idea of like a a tinder but for for dates to have lunch with not necessarily like Hey, I want to like go on a date with somebody, but like you know how like people have this weird fear of eating by themselves, like
1: so that so so it's just like a, a lunch date finder, but like not a, like a platonic lunch partner finder.
0: Yes, like you literally say <laughs> I- in theory, this app you would go, you would put, hey, I'm in the mood for this. I'm in this area, and my looking lunch- to
2: match with a person to <laughs> and, just have lunch. Yet? And that's and, it. Yeah, okay. my,
0: and my lunch time is around. <laughs>
1: if people are if y'all are afraid to eat alone you bring a book that is that is the secret to eating alone
0: (laughs) hey it's not my problem i i love eating alone i love it but i know people I do not
2: i i would subscribe to this service no no in theory I, i think i would yeah Because if you could connect with somebody and at least be like, "So you like this food? I like this
1: food." But we're not going to talk. We're we're just here to look like we're together, so we don't look alone.
0: You're like (laughs) there. You're there. You're making conversation at the end of the meal. At the most, maybe you are romantically interested. Maybe you just have a new friend, or you didn't have to eat alone that day.
1: It should be like Uber, though, where you can put in, don't want to talk during this exchange. (laughs) Right.
0: I mean, that could definitely be a setting. Yeah, that could be a setting. Be like, hey, I just don't like empty
1: chairs, so... Honestly, you should do that. Like, I, I really want to see the repercussions of
2: that. Oh, I mean, as, yes. As somebody who traveled, though, like I used to travel a fair amount for work, and I hated having to leave my hotel room and go and eat in an empty restaurant, or even being like, I don't know where to eat in the city. I'm confused. So, having something where it would be like, here's a top recommended restaurant, and also somebody that will maybe walk you through the menu, I mean, that could start well and end horribly so i think the horrific potential is very high
0: yes like it, it's <laughs> it's very high i mean but the, anyone has the potential to abuse the system you know yeah. so mm-hmm. so with with any great idea but i've had this idea for i don't know years <laughs> i just haven't found a programmer buddy but i don't know maybe maybe it wouldn't work as much especially now in the uh, in the, the the covid days Whatever we're calling. Oh well, yeah, it.
1: yeah. You could, you you couldn't launch a social app now, but but I think there's viability there. <laughs> I, I could so, at least too. watch the
2: short horror film version of this. And oh
0: yeah. That, yeah, that's that's just my backup plan. If I can't get the actual app making, make then a, a I'm just gonna make it. I'm gonna make it into a screenplay, and that'll be there that.
2: There you go. Be that. Reverse engineer it. Start with the film, and then sell <laughs> the app.
0: <laughs> and then sell the app. Ooh, you, you always got to have a good marketing strategy.
2: And you film two endings, one with a happy ending so that you can sell the app and one with the horror film, which is how (laughs) it will really go down.
0: Yes. Oh, man, like a choose your own, choose your own thing. We need more alternative Mm -hmm. endings in in horror these days. Like nobody does that anymore. You know,
2: Oh, Um... we were just talking about Final Destination 3,
1: the DVD release where you could choose your own death venture that yeah. was fun that was fun that was is... you could actually save. actually i think the only character you could save in that movie is the asshole <laughs> which nobody okay, would want so to do obviously yeah well no i think they did that on purpose because they
0: knew nobody would pick him. so they're like no everybody's gonna choose him to die so they promised
1: did. the options there
0: they rigged it on purpose uh, love file destination mm, that's a topic yeah. for another podcast episode <laughs> Um, right, and right. so I, like I said, uh, this is the last episode of Found Footage Month, and I've I've run low on my on my entries. So I just kind of want to uh, go back and talk about a couple movies I watched in October that weren't for the podcast, but I did watch for the first time. That kinda can tie into um, what we're talking about today. But the first one is just a queer horror essential that I had not seen, which is From Beyond. I watched From Beyond for the first time over October. Ooh, I've never seen it. You haven't seen well, it either, Joe.
1: I actually have the Blu-ray, but I, yeah, I've never. Is it's a queer horror essential? Is this is this oh, news to you,
2: Joe? I mean, I
0: think it is. In my opinion,
1: more of just. <laughs> well, now I'm
2: curious. <laughs> is it tentacle stuff? Uh,
0: I mean, there's uh, there's a there's a a phallic thing that comes oh, out yes. of somebody's yeah, yeah, yeah. Head, forehead.
1: Okay, I've got. I own this Blu-ray because it was like five dollars on Amazon one day, and so I'm gonna watch this. (laughs) I mean, I
0: won't say the movie is a explicitly like queer themed, but it is of just for. This is movie like it's oozing sexuality for everyone. You got Barbara Crampton, and then you got Stuart Gordon doing their thing. Like for some reason, like they make Stuart Gordon really hot in this movie. I don't know how they pulled that off, but. Like his his like he had this I don't know thing going that I was really into.
1: Well, you can definitely call in. I mean, you can find a queer reading in a lot of things, so I'll buy that. Like exactly, we we got flagged for calling Batman Returns queer once, so. I understand your pain. <laughs> I,
0: I like to just, like, it's something I've noticed just, like, on my podcast, like, you know, I didn't mean to, for, like, a lot of, like, the podcast episodes I've done, haven't meant to, like, find the queer themes, and them. I'm just like, hey, they're just there. And that's the... the can't weird. help
2: it if I stumble upon it. And
0: yeah. <laughs> then, like I said, I can't help if I'm uh, watching this movie and I'm attracted to the male and female lead characters, and one of them has, uh, like... Skinny looking dick coming from his forehead. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I I don't make the rules here, but uh, absolutely great movie. So you guys need to check it out. Um, all right. This was all right. a uh, essential.
2: Also, for me. now we know all about your king, So.
0: <laughs> I mean, and then once you see Barbara Crampton, the the energy that she's radiating in this movie, um, some some very yeah, you'll you'll see what I, you'll see what I mean.
2: Like <laughs> Love very, a good Crampton.
0: Oh man, I got to do a um. I got to do a table read with Barbara Crampton for Scripts Gone Wild, and she was uh, playing Meryl Streep's character in Death Becomes Her.
2: Uh, <laughs> nice. Barbara
0: is a queen. She is such a I queen. I did see that. And then um, did either
1: one of you guys have another recommendation? Um, I won't do The Den again. I actually, Joe, you've seen this one. I, I did Hell House LLC, man. I think Hell right, House LLC yeah. on Shudder. Um, there are three of these movies, but it's, well, yeah, it is found footage. It is found footage again. But, yeah. like, it's really low budget and somehow like they make the best scares out of like the least amount of ingredients it's a uh, just a really mm. good scary movie about these people that go to make a haunt at this haunted hotel in oh god i want to say like the new england area um yeah. but uh of course the hotel is actually haunted and it's like there like they use fucking clown dolls that just have their heads turn when the camera, but that's like those found footed tricks, like where the camera will turn and it will come back and there's something there. Um, It's just a release. Yeah. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, But it's terrifying, man. It's a, it's a real good little scare fest that actually left me a bit unsettled by the end. Um, Yeah. I think it's really good.
0: That I was literally about to call it, like, a little scare fest myself. I haven't seen it, but I was like, there's nothing wrong with a, just a good little, like, straightforward scare fest. And mm-hmm. I also like this, like, little um, surgence of, like, a, like, little niche subgenre of, like, um, immersive horror, like, coming to life or, like, you know, going wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, when we have, like, movies like Hellfest, uh, Haunt recently as well, right. and then, like, the Hell House yeah. LLC movies. Um, but now that they're all three of them are like out and available, I'm just I need to triple feature them, just like bam, bam, bam.
1: It unfortunately is a franchise of diminishing returns. Mm. Um, I think I I still think two is really good and has great scares, but I found three dreadfully boring.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, it, yeah, you can't go for boring, especially not in the yeah. not in the found footage realm. Not by the third film either. Like that's just. <laughs> That's no yeah. bueno. That's no Especially bueno.
1: when your franchise is known for the scares, and there's no scares in that movie. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Yeah, no bueno there. Uh, did you have any, another movie you'd like to shout out, Joe? Uh,
2: I, I mean, as I mentioned, I'm not a huge fan footage person, so I don't have a huge wealth of experiences to draw from. But we did cover the taking of Deborah Logan on the Patreon mm-hmm. last year, and... I had heard a lot about it so I was a little trepidatious like oh is this going to live up or is it going to be I don't know I I worry that people sometimes talk up like if they overhype found footage films as being super scary like I don't find paranormal activity super effective personally um maybe I just need to like give it another try but I was worried that this was going to be another kind of case like that and I actually found it really effective it's I think a good mixture of heart and mystery, as well as the traditional, you know, facets of fountain footage. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you, you always like a really good mystery uh, with found footage as well. Kind of adds to like, a, give it like a little like minimal, realistic, noir type vibe to it, which is always fun. So, God, uh, can't, can't go wrong with that. And the last movie that I just wanted to shout out real quick before we get into the actual convo is um, you guys were doing Sawtober, and it had <laughs> me. It had me in a mood, and um, and it kind of ties into the mood we're talking about today. Is um, so I watched The Collector for the first time. Oh yeah, which yeah, yeah. is like um, you know, has a lot of the people behind Saw involved in it, and it's very much like it was supposed to be like a Saw prequel, and then it just is its own thing and i kind of like to just now think of it like its own like little saw movie just like in mm-hmm. in the corner of the saw universe and mm-hmm. um <laughs> but just like what what stood out to me in that movie and like compared to today is just like this killer is just like the 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 like the precision and like you know like the the combination of like the precision they has and like also being like this like weird physical threat as well collectors mm-hmm. a really fun movie and, like, I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to watch the second one.
1: Yeah, and, I, I think the second one's a better movie. I mean, I, I like the first one fine, but, like, ooh. I think the second one's pretty great.
0: <laughs> ooh, okay. Well, that gets me excited to uh, get to that <laughs> one because um, I absolutely loved it. Like, the, a really great protagonist-antagonist, like, face-off, like, in the third mm-hmm. act between. They're, like, very equally matched, and I love that. But um but I was just like very impressed by um by the collector in the first one, just like his like kinda prowess and I was kinda surprised he's not like talked about more in like uh kind of those like you know famous killer conversations, which I can mm-hmm. say about the killer of the movie that we're talking about today. Hulk! The Poughkeepsie tapes released in well, that's complicated. Question mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. Um, it was a movie that did its uh, festival run in 2007, and then it was supposed to have a theatrical release in 2008, but then that didn't happen, and it was just shelved for a very long time. And then no it reason. was.
2: So this wasn't like a studio shuttering and somebody else bought it and then they let it sit on the shelf. It was just like, we don't know what to do with this movie. I mean, it was MGM. Like they were the distributor. Did they go bankrupt? I don't think they did.
1: Uh... Uh,
2: They definitely got. Sold or something at one point.
1: One sec, I'll look it up. I mean, I yeah. was working at a movie theater in 2007, and so I actually hung the post hanged, hung. I hung the poster for this movie in my theater. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's what
0: it said. It said that they did do like the promotional advertising and all the marketing stuff, and then it, there's just not too much uh, information uh, known about it, but. And then it became, like, kind of one of those movies that was like, oh, well, if you've either, A, got to see it at the festival, then you're, like, one of the lucky people. Or if you mm. were one of the people that was able to somehow track down some version to watch. And mm. who knows how that came about? I would assume maybe somebody that, like, maybe worked at a movie theater was, like, making their own well, bootleg well, or something. Or who knows?
1: I, but see, I, I, don't, I don't think they actually – the movie theaters wouldn't have gotten the print sent to them. I actually – because with – I even wonder if like someone involved with the film was like, well, this movie is not coming out. I want people to see it.
0: <laughs> and
1: like, yeah, like I'll pay for it out of pocket, yeah. <laughs> if only to keep it in the conversation.
2: Mm. So it it does look like MGM did get into some trouble. And but it says that they were acquired by Sony in 2004. So I don't know why this would have affected a 2007 mm. release. Yeah, well,
1: I mean, that's I don't know. <laughs> like, There's no reason.
0: Huh? Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a little bit of a mystery. And like I said, I feel like it like just like, I don't know, kind of adds to the whole lore of it all, because it was like some people would see it somehow, you know, whether that be, I don't know, probably finding it on a on a Reddit thread or something like that, or who knows, or of course, you know, piracy. But it did wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but then it did get video on demand in two thousand four or two thousand fourteen, and then it didn't come to DVD and Blu Ray until twenty seventeen.
1: Like, when well, I was, I was looking at this too because um, it says Orion Pictures is Orion because that was a resurrected company. Yes. But is that part of MGM or is that a different company? I think it might
2: have been. I think that's. I think like it's like a what, different company that was acquired as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz they basically came back just a couple years ago. It would have been right around the time that this DVD came out.
1: Oh my God. I want to like make like this fucking like, like like the murder board where it's like Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or or Is like... he trying to find the killer of the Pikiski tapes
1: or is he just Solve trying to release. figure out
2: the DVD release?
0: Yeah. It's the full Charlie Day with the with the yes. pictures and strings right now, like just trying to unravel that. Like it's 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 a very strange uh, thing, but, like, it, it kind of just developed this, like, legend around it, you know, whenever people were able to start watch on, uh, on VOD, and then, you know, and then now, after it's, like, made available, it's on Amazon Prime now, um, it has been kind of getting that, that love that deserves, in my opinion. So, it was directed by John Eric Dowdle, who is no stranger to the found footage realm. He uh, directed Quarantine, the American version of Rec, and then he also, after this, would go on to direct um, As Above, So Below, which I talked about on the podcast a few months yeah. ago. Uh, another, and I, I, really enjoy As Above, So Below. Um, yeah, yes. So the this director is obviously drawn to this uh, subgenre for for one reason or another. So before we like kind of get into the movie and like what happens in it, which if you guys have not seen the movie. Uh, highly recommend you guys watch this we will be spoiling it um please 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 go watch it yourself i think if you are wanting to challenge yourself with something a little bit um a little bit a little bit more intense then i would recommend watching this but um if not and you just want to hear the spoilers from us then go on continue listening guys so um uh, we we talk about subgenre here on the opening segment the genre grinder where we kind of take it from one subgenre and we're going to go a little bit deeper into it and obviously this is found footage what we're talking about and then this film has like a a like true crime like uh like that like true ID channel spin to it where it's basically like a forensic files case like that is the way that we're being presented to it so does that what what elements of that work for you guys and what doesn't work for you in that element? <laughs>
2: I feel like I know where Trace is going to go with this I,
1: part. No, my, my mindset on this film is that it's 50% like a great, really creepy, terrifying found footage movie and it's 50% a badly acted forensic file slog, <laughs> like a pale imitator. <laughs> uh, I I don't love a lot of these segments. I mean, I, I get why they're here and I think with maybe a better... Better acting, (laughs) better script, better acting for these portions it would work better. I think in the beginning it's okay, but then it like progressively just kind of gets worse as it goes along, and to the point where it almost feels like the film is maybe even satirizing like that style of TV show. Like it almost seems like the director's like, "Hey, we're gonna kind of poke fun at these things." The problem is, if that's the case, it's so tonally out of whack with the with the tapes themselves, which are, like, truly, seriously disturbing things. So, I don't know. It, it, it's literally, like, I'm so... I, I like this movie, and I recommend this movie, but because of that damn Forensic Files thing, I'm just like, but it's only half a good movie. <laughs> I 100% felt that. I had been warned from people in
2: advance that the Forensic File True ID kind of docu parts of it were a little bit more challenging because yeah the acting's not quite as good I definitely got the feeling that it was satirizing it Mm -hmm. and I think part of it is if we look at it that way it could be seen as deliberately adding levity as the tapes get darker yes so that I think the ending then lands harder like when you get the reveal that Cheryl has actually committed suicide sorry that Cheryl has died by suicide at the end of this that you're just like well I didn't fucking expect that because I thought that this was going to be something lighter Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't gonna have a an unhappy ending and then it just ends and then it's just (laughs) done you're like oh there's no resolution you didn't catch the guy he's still out there oh there's a little mini post-credit sequence that confirms he's 100 percent out there
0: yeah I think I think it does It, it I think it works like 75 25 for me because yeah Mm. sometimes it it, i i was watching it and i'd find myself being like am i supposed to be laughing during this movie as much as i am Are is this intentional you know that like you said is it intentionally satirizing like that kind of thing but it also just like you said trace like it just kind of doesn't fit entirely Mm. in the aspect of like you know kind of profiling like this serial killer that is just like so ahead of the curve and like so on another level than like something else. and like trying to induce all this fear and then also like his impact on everyone else. Then if you're like just trying to also on the side, like halfway satirizing, you know, forensic well, files kind of like, yeah, it feels like a little like, I
1: don't know. I, I think, I think that's, I, th- I think you can make it satire, but I think the problem is because of the quality of that footage. It, teeters on parody and parody is more intentionally like funny as a as opposed like goofy funny as opposed to being like critical and so I think that's what the, the problem is and as Joe as you said it gets almost like funnier as the tapes get darker darker yeah well and
2: it's also a problem and maybe something that's a little more unique to us because we are I don't want to say serious horror fans but like we take horror seriously yes. and have watched quite a lot of it So for us as viewers, we're watching it and we're obsessed with these tapes, right? The Mm -hmm. tapes are so effective. I don't want to cut away from them. I want to keep watching the tapes. I mean, kind of. Kind of. (laughs) Like, a little breather in between would be fine to, like, add some context and advance the story. But at the same time, like, especially as the film goes on where... Like, I'm losing interest in the case, except for the the reveal of whether or not he gets
1: caught. You want to see those 16 missing tapes.
2: I do. <laughs> I,
1: want, I want more of that, right? Yeah. That part's actually really chilling when the guy's like, we don't know what's on them. Maybe it's mm-hmm. worse than anything. Like... I imagine the concept of that yeah like well, that, that's
2: why it's so effective right because it is activating your ideas of what are on those tapes like even the guy who's talking about how he watched the tapes at home and his girlfriend like accidentally walked saw in it, yeah. on, like yeah. i think that kind of stuff works better than yeah i don't know i think just some of these actors
0: i think maybe they could have done it less Bit, but i do enjoy it because part of like what i find like about this killer like terrifying and stuff like more than just like what we're seeing him portray on the tapes is also just like the build up of like his like lore and like legend behind it and then kind of tapping into the like you know in the the true crime element because like mm-hmm. i don't like i don't like true crime i have like a weird feeling about it of like listening and feeling like i'm indulging in like i don't know like with the realness of it so like with this movie with them doing it in a fictionalized version it kind of allows me to you know follow that intrigue and like like yeah. i like i'm literally that one person whenever um the the guy is interviewing uh one of the like gal detectives and he's like are you like someone impressed are you intrigued and then she's like no fuck no why would i be but like that's kind of the way that you like that's the way that you exactly that's the way you like question people that like really go into that so it's like with the fictionalized version of that i felt like i was able to like kind of indulge in that so it's like the way they like built out like how serious his like lore was even before we like right. really start seeing more of him on the tapes
1: yeah I, I think really the weirdest part for me is when they do the reenactment of the falsely accused cop who's going to get executed. Like, they do a reenactment yeah. of him, like, <laughs> being walked to the lethal ejection chamber.
2: <laughs> yeah. That, for me, was the height of the, oh, okay, we must be doing a parody.
1: Right. And
0: I think it was that and then them also deciding to throw a Bundy cameo in there, like, no. <laughs> out, of, out of nowhere. So I thought
1: it's a it's pushing, but it's trying to push buttons and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, let's just try it all and someone will get pissed off about something. Well, yeah, I mean, if you
2: think about what's depicted in this movie, it's kind of a checklist of awful things. Like, how shocking can we be? How gross can we be? You know, cesareans, yes. Babies killed, yes. Uh, people mm-hmm. decapitated, yes. Uh, rape and mutilation, yes. Death by suicide. Like, the list just goes on.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's like... Um, I think, you know, they could have... I think that's where I guess they needed more of of the new stuff because then cuz it's like on one half there's hundreds of tapes in this story and it's like mm-hmm. how many tapes did we actually really get to see like we got to see like 2% of tapes here in this movie so it's like yeah. you know yeah. I definitely could have wanted to but then yeah at the same time like what would they have just filled out the time with of just, okay, let's do let's do more nastiness, but maybe if we could have gotten like a peek at one of the hidden tapes, that should have been like the the uh the post credit scene. scene. Yeah. But like,
2: that's the sequel setup too, don't you think? Like this movie is deliberately open ended in a way that I feel a lot of found footage films like to leave you with a lingering question mark, but they don't give you any Like the lack of closure, I think, is unusual. Usually, it's like, oh, there could still be something. Maybe the evil's not done. Here, it's like, yeah, we we just sliced off one little part of this.
1: It's also like, like the cops are like, well, but we can't catch him. So go ahead and make your movie, I guess. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: and that's that's where it's like confusing though, because it's like if like because one, I don't think like a sequel would work like I guess like in the context of the movie universe because it's like okay why would they make like a part two on this m- serial killer that they still can't catch well
1: we that just, still haven't caught him here's more footage exactly <laughs> no, they'd be like okay we're gonna go through some more tapes I guess
2: but then it's like <laughs> maybe somebody will recognize him from this different mask on this well, other tape
1: I, I also wanted to point out though because I, I when I posted that I was watching this yesterday someone was like oh I saw that at um some festival and Everyone walked out really mad because they they were led to believe that it was true. And I think Dowdle would actually when he introduced it, like he would act because it does the thing at the end where it does all the families that lost like the law. It's like the memorial pages, like on the credits. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think the marketing it was doing the Blair Witch thing like back in 2007, like seven years post Blair Witch, eight years post Blair Witch. But yeah, I think it was really hinging on the this is true. Um, and apparently, festival audiences did think it was true. And I guess when it was revealed, at, I guess what the post-screening Q and A, that it was not, people just got really pissed off. <laughs> Man, people
2: are sheep. I
1: can't believe anybody <laughs> ever fall for that kind of shit.
2: Come on.
0: I know, like, uh, like, yeah. If you, if especially like, you know, the festival circuit was in like 2007. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that is like still somewhat early to where you can almost believe. The like things, because that's like around, the, but like at the same time, like that's when everybody was doing the like extreme like marketing ploys, yeah. like
2: because I remember yeah, like, like when is the ring? Because I remember people freaking
1: out. Oh, see, that's
0: back in two thousand and
1: two. But, but uh, comparable Cloverfield, like Cloverfield two thousand eight, that was like a crazy marketing campaign. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah that and is
0: fair. I remember the original Paranormal Activity too. Um, they did a thing where they like were having people sign waivers. Um, outside the theater, I don't know if either of your guys' theaters did this yeah, as I like a I promo did that. thing, <laughs> no, no, no. but I remember hearing it was like, "Oh yeah, they signed waivers because it's so scary." And then, but then Gosh, it's like, shit. "What are you?" It, it was like a fake that's waiver, like, it, like wasn't even like a like, but um, right, but that's like that's
1: like some William Castle shit, like <laughs> oh <my> goodness, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I remember.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I was working at the movie theater when The Blair Witch came out, the original, and I remember that we started to get reports that we should maybe have barf bags on hand or that we should warn people going in that the shaky camera work was like really disorienting and like people might get sick. And, and I think the more that kind of stuff gets talked up, the more audiences You almost lose your sensibilities and you're like, yeah, sure. I'm going to buy into this because it's going to make my viewing experience that much more real and exciting. So even though I think we know better, we still go along for the ride because we want to be fucking scared. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think like and that kind of like where it led me into like my first time watch of it because it i had waited for this movie to like get available for like streaming or something like that like i don't do physical media because i I'm, I'm a baby but what? wait
1: wait 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 wait, 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 wait like we need to unpack yeah what, what is because i'm a baby like so because you're uh, young you, no you oh no media. no no
0: no 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 i mean i'm i mean an emotional baby um i've told this story <laughs> uh i think i've mentioned it on the podcast before but I oh. had a I had a collection of physical media. Watch, you guys are gonna feel real bad now. I can't wait really to see your face here in a second. Oh my God, did someone <laughs> die on it? No, no, no. Okay, no, no. Cool. But um, I had a I had a collection of like a bunch of DVDs and shit. And um, there was a house fire at like the place oh. that I was living at. Nothing burnt up in the fire. I thought I was gonna be able to like save everything, but um, we weren't like able to, like get everything out like the night of, and then so like overnight. People, like, stole everything that they could out of the house. So then all my movies
1: got stolen.
0: So ever since, I, I can't get myself to Wait, get physical media anymore.
1: Because it reminds you of that?
0: I I, I don't know. It's like the idea of, like, I don't want to, like, oh. rebuy movies I've, like, bought right. already. But then, like, what if I just, like, get another collection? and Then <laughs> shit happens again, you know?
2: I was um, can go through it a second time. I'm scarred.
1: Oh, I'm so scarred. scarred. So I lived in Texas whenever Hurricane Rita, because after Katrina, like, Rita was the big hurricane, and so people, like, took that shit seriously, and so we actually evacuated, because um, I, I grew up in Houston, and I remember packing a giant box with, like, my 1,000 DVDs, and I was like, this is what I'm bringing, Mom. <laughs> Other people have pets. Other people have, you
2: know, memorabilia like, oh, this is family pictures. We can't afford to lose this. Trace is like, I've got Legally Blonde. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a big deal.
0: (laughs) I got the box sets. I can't give these up. Priorities. Priorities. I feel that. So, uh, Uh, but, yeah, anyways. Oh, yeah. So it took me a so, while to watch so this. So what movie.
2: you're saying is willing to amass a collection of uh purchased titles that could then be taken away from you at any moment by the streaming conglomerates.
1: Pre- yeah. I'm a, I'm a, and there was so cat. many ways to say you don't own that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so many words.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like uh, I like noticed how many like social or, or how many streaming like things I have right now and I'm like, ah oh, shit, how did this even happen? I didn't even mean to, but it was probably just mm adding different ones so that I could watch certain movies uh, sure yeah, yeah
2: that's so how they've gotten all of us
0: but like um but waiting so long to to see this movie it definitely like had this like hype built up to mm-hmm. it you know of right. like it was, it was extreme it was like this is like uh it was like it was one of the movies I interestingly saw people would say uh I'm not a found footage fan person but this one yeah. actually scares me like i saw that that's
1: what you want to hear right like someone who doesn't like the subgenre says oh this is actually really good like that's when you're like honestly i think that's a bigger hype driver for me than like it getting like a 95 percent of rotten tomatoes (laughs) i mean this movie didn't get that like oh this movie's popular but it convinced that fucking
2: asshole to
1: eat shit and Mm -hmm. take back those words i want to see it exactly how was that experience then like were you underwhelmed or were you like yeah that works
0: I I think what it it, it kind of answered a few questions for me. One, it 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 delivered. I very much like enjoy this film second time mm-hmm. around. Very much still enjoyed it. Um, okay. it it didn't hit my levels as far as like how fucked up it was gonna be. But then I think that just like kind of proves to me that I was like, yeah, I'm, I like because I was kind of like wondering to myself, I'm like, how high is my like horror tolerance like compared to mm-hmm. like some other people and like watching yesterday. It it's pretty like, high, right? <laughs> and mine's pretty high because I like on realizing like yeah. okay this is not okay come on like I've then now like even since then I've kind of like ventured off into the darker territories a little bit more and like I'm like okay I'm I'm just kind well, of a disturbed person. <laughs>
1: no, I, I agree. I mean, honestly, like rewatching it last night too, I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I, I I'm I'm more like tolerant of this now because i've seen this movie enough times but I've honestly seen it so many times this isn't gonna scare me well, i'll be fine oh I mean,
2: shit i'm still affected
1: well because the, the cheryl stuff obviously sucks but honestly for me like the, the part where like, i was watching it last night and i was alone and i got chills and i knew i, I had forgotten about the scene i guess but it's when he faint pretends to be a cop and picks the I woman up i was just going to say that. that scene is so effective it is so scary like, i mean i literally like when the movie ended i didn't want to get up to to go eject it from my disc player. I was like, I don't even want to move right now.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, the, that scene is like definitely one that, that, that gets me. And then the one that like got me the most, that was where I was like, okay. Cause this was like more of like a like head trip, like kind of thing at like, mm-hmm. and I totally didn't see it coming. And like, I love whenever I'm like genuinely like thrown for something was uh, the girl scout scene. Whenever um, the killer, he invites these Girl Scouts into his home and you're like just worried instantly because at this point we know how fucking like crazy this killer is. And, like, what he's capable of. So we're like, oh, come on. Not the not the little girls,
1: too. Not the little girls. But, but what does that say, though, right? Okay, so that, And that's what I, I love. And you're right. All the scenes we're talking about that are the most effective and the most chilling are the ones without any gore or violence. So it's really interesting that people are like, oh, my God, it's so intense. It's so gory. And it's like, yeah, like, there is, like, assault. There is rape. There is gore. But those aren't even like the most like chilling scenes in it, and I wonder if it's because as horror fans we're so used to seeing like violence equals scary or shock factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the but these these non gore scenes are just like I think like they just feel more real because oh. they're more relatable.
0: It just like it threw me for a loop. Like he like you know passes he passes on the Girl Scouts, and then it's fucking mm. revealed he was sitting on Cheryl like a like a piece of furniture. Had her tied Mm -hmm. up, but then, like, the layered reveal to it. Then you see that he had a mirror on the floor to, like, make her watch herself. Like, uh like, that, Because it was
2: clearly, if she made any sound, he would kill the girls. And if she performed, Mm -hmm. like, a piece of furniture, they would be fine. Mm
0: -hmm. Like, yeah, that was, like, a a psychological horror dagger right there. Yeah. And... I uh, will
2: say... I, I will say the scene that really disturbed me was kind of a mix of the two of yours. So the scene where it's basically a long take of the woman's face. I think it's the woman from the car.
1: Oh, yeah. Where she's
2: tied up in uh, on the beam and you just see him crawling on his hands and knees yeah. with the double mass. And it's unfortunate that I had actually seen a still of that mass. So I knew, but the moment is, it honestly reminded me of the cell. With the Vincent mm-hmm. D'Onofrio kind of... The accordion demon uh, thing? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And I think it's something about the physicality. Like, you're not used to seeing people crawl unless it's, like, crawling in fear. Mm-hmm. So this idea that he was so comfortable, like, that was a performance for us as viewers, as people mm-hmm. who would watch these tapes later on, and then to end it by
1: stabbing her in the neck and just watching her bleed out is... Did I get that I- right? I yeah, watched No, his, like, no <laughs> he has like the two finger prongs, yeah. but no, I, what I loved about that too. And I was just think, I was watching it because it is one take unless there's a phantom cut somewhere that he does. But when she starts bleeding and like, you can see like the, the mouth hitting the, the tape on her, sorry, the the blood hitting the tape on her mouth. I was like, damn, this actress was like holding this like capsule in her mouth for this entire time, waiting to like spew this blood out. Mm. Ooh.
0: Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That, that is a, a tough one. And yeah, there. I mean, I don't see any like kind of phantom cuts or like op- even an opportunity for one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the and kind of like Joe said, like that scene is like kind of what makes it the creepiest. Is like how he's he's putting on this performance. I love. Mm-hmm. I, I I was into like the theatricality because like um, we kind of had this evolution of him sitting into this persona. You know, it's like first him figuring out like okay, I want to be a killer, okay, hey, I'm a good killer, okay, no, I'm a really good killer, and this is my thing, and now Mm -hmm. this is me, and he, like, kind of goes into this, like, you know, persona, wearing the plague doctor stuff, and then Joe said, like, Joe said it, like, him doing this just, like, weird crawling, because he's so confident with himself now, and being like, this is me, I'm the fucking weirdest, creepiest killer that could be, and I was just like, it's it's a good one. Um, but even, even, like, before that, though, like, that's, like, one of my favorite elements, too, of the film is, like, this, like, evolution that we, like, kind of see, and, like, I, I, it's, like, I don't say that I, re- I respect this killer in a, <laughs> like, oh, I want to, you know, take notes from him or anything, but, like, in just the fact of, like, I hadn't seen a killer, like, written or portrayed in, like, this manner of, like, how precise and like effective and how smart he was and like the things they like took into it and coming
1: up with an alter ego
0: serial killer on top of his already killingness yeah what? he's
1: definitely he falls into like the too smart category for me. but I sustain my disbelief like if I really think about it, I'm like, hey, okay, this is a bit like this guy has like superpowers over the police. Right. but honestly, like I don't even care because it's kind of like quote unquote fun. To watch him fuck with the police so much. Because that seems to be his only plan. Is he just wants to fuck with the police.
2: Yeah. I mean there's obviously some power tripping going on. With the way that he keeps Cheryl alive. And then induces Stockholm Syndrome in her. But it does seem like he's getting equal amounts of pleasure. On fucking with the police. And also her mom.
1: That seems also not that scene enjoyable when she (laughs) recognizes him she she goes wait and then you hear him laugh
0: oh
2: yeah yeah, like her face that's when i think that the found footage piece like never mind why is he video like we know why he's videotaping it because it is a fucking power trip but that to me is it it's such a good use of found footage right where yeah, it could have just been, like, oh, she's got a camera Well, she's gardening or something, and you're just like, well, this doesn't make any sense. But, of course, he would go and do something like that and videotape it so that people could see just how fucking smart and daring he is.
0: Yeah, like, it's it's 100% like, yeah, a power trip thing in, in all the phases of, like, who he's affecting in affecting the police and affecting Cheryl and then, like, also affecting everyone around them. And, like, you know... I think it's like, you know, he gets, like, equal pleasure off of both of it, um, aside from his just, like, kind of obsession with Cheryl, too. But, yeah, but that scene where he, he sees the mom, like, the way her face drops is just, like, yeah, absolute goosebumps during that scene. And, but, yeah, but like, just the, the the whole, like I said, like, him kind of sitting into, like this is like him like this is like a very very twisted serial killer coming of age story almost and that's like kind of super disturbing as well, well
1: jo- joe you tweeted from the horror quiz twitter account you were like hey we're gonna guest on something talking about Poughkeepsie's hates what are your response? What, what do you think of this movie and we got quite a few like fuck that movie i fucking hate oh, that really? movie. really yeah i don't i don't
2: Okay, I can understand why people might not find it Mm -hmm. satisfying, but I also cannot at all. I wonder if
1: it's too (laughs) sadistic.
2: Like, if it's like, why the fuck are we watching these tapes? (laughs) Well, this movie is mean, right? And that's the thing. Like, people don't like mean, and they don't like open-ended films.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like... I think what a lot of people... If I had to pick out anything that would um, bother me the most is, like, I guess, why... Cheryl had to go through so much I guess like there was never like any you know her putting herself like they they never tried to say that like she was like putting herself in a like situation so it's like they weren't trying to make that message but then they just like put her through so much and even though we kind of they portray him as just kind of a psychopath but then now Mm -hmm. like they put this like layer of obsession with it too.
1: She, I think it might. I mean, yeah. So I mean, it's like she's kidnapped. She's tortured on screen. She goes through Stockholm syndrome. Falls in love with her captor, and then commit, and then dies by suicide. Like I think I'm sure if someone watching this is like this movie hates, yeah, and women. hates women like he,
2: <laughs> because he doesn't really go after men unless they're tied to women. They're collateral right? damage. Yeah. 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 But I also feel like that's realistic when you look at the genesis of a lot of serial killers like typically they will pick one sex and they will go after them almost exclusively like you don't get a lot of killers who change up their mo's and that kind of stuff and unfortunately with male serial killers they're usually if they're not queer they're often going after women
0: yeah Yeah. i mean i guess yeah that could definitely be part of it because like even when he like switches his mo i mean he like just goes from like being already like killing mainly women and then he's like okay now i'm gonna ratchet up even more you know specifically targeting like you know sex workers and prostitutes and like and then turning it up with necrophilia too just to like throw a a a spin on it i don't know like you know (laughs) just trying
2: everything on for size
0: (laughs) yeah so i don't know i guess yeah maybe it is like excessive to a degree or i think it also might just frustrate people like you says like the open-endedness, but then also uh, I've seen some people have the opinion, be like, okay, do the cops, like, really suck this bad? And it's like, you know, in two thousand yes. <laughs> in, the, in the 90s, yeah, in the 90s and in the early 2000s, you know, even then we still didn't have, like, you know, they didn't conduct investigations the way that we do now and it was a lot easier to get away with stuff then, but then even in context of today as well, you know, it hasn't... You
1: know- <laughs> do they ever explain how these, like why they're giving these tapes, to these documentary filmmakers, because technically the case is still open. So wouldn't all evidence be under any, like a massive lockdown. Like they're not just going to give the tapes to this documentary. crew. Sorry. It's, it's a, it's a logic question. It well, doesn't matter.
0: I, I, well, I thought there were a few scenes in there and maybe um because there were like a few scenes where they were kind of framing it as they were using this investigation also to like train other um, like FBI people. Agents, yeah. So yeah. maybe or they... have The classroom
2: scenes with that one guy. So maybe mm-hmm. that's half the reason? of you will be disgusted and leave this course by the end of it. Okay, <laughs> like it's like your your first year college faculty um, no. member where they're like, look to the left, look that's to the right. Scene from... One of you will be gone. <laughs> that's a
1: scene from Mel Brooks Dracula, dead and loving it. Whenever he's Van Helsing and he's like doing the autopsy, and all the all the people start fanning behind him. Yeah. Yeah, hold
0: this. Yeah, hold this. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Uh I I that's one thing I've been like uh thinking about during uh this entire month of Found Footage movies is like trying to think of the the like skeevy person that like, you know, collects and edits and does these things. I like to think there's like a meta found footage horror goblin going around cutting together these like found footage films is like Ooh, <laughs> this one i got lots of material with all these tapes to work with um so yeah who was who was this edited for and delivered to doesn't doesn't exactly add up but um <laughs> but yeah but the the, but the end of the film yeah again is like one of those things where the uh we have something, one of the more disturbing scenes isn't like one of the gore graphic scenes. Um, because like, I mean, Cheryl goes through some shit in this movie. Like, wow. Yeah. And like the, I
2: wouldn't, I I wouldn't be surprised to learn that that's the main reason why people don't like this is this idea that we've had to watch this woman Mm -hmm. for what the, the 85 minutes. And then to see her, you know, she's finally rescued. She's obviously deeply traumatized. She's
1: physically, yeah, that,
0: that interview scene is was the one that I was, like, kind of
1: talking it's, about. Was. It's rough, So right? Okay, so I, I agree it's rough. The, the is, only, is like, I laughed all the way through. It. No, 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 because when I watch it, though, it looks like, do you all know the Kristen Wiig SNL character, Denise? Oh, stop. The one with the tiny hands? It does. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, it does. That, that's what she looks like to me. It, wow. It, it does. And this
2: is when Trace revealed to
1: himself to be a serial killer, everybody. <laughs> it is really disturbing, but I just, every time I, that scene comes up, I just think about Denise. That's what I, the, the
0: first time that I watched the movie, it deeply disturbed me. Like whenever she like reaches up and she just has the nub to like scratch her yeah. head. And I was like, oh, but then the second time, yeah, I giggled. I giggled the second time.
1: <laughs> but but you're you're right. no I, it's a really fucking like it's it's upsetting and honestly the reveal of her stump hand is just like it's one of those it's like oh as if this performance like this what like what she's saying isn't enough yeah. like we gotta also show that yeah she's lost a hand
2: but I do love that they don't belabor the point like there's a card that explains that Mm -hmm. she died by suicide two weeks later. But it's not like we then have to attend a funeral. It's not like, you know, we have to see everybody mourning or something like the film has enough decency to go for that sucker punch, but then it doesn't belabor it with emotion with emotional manipulation.
0: Yeah. And then I, and, and then I could see people, I guess, like after that scene, like, and I'm glad that like, yeah, we like didn't go through like the funeral stuff, but then, I guess it almost could have, like, ended without having to do... They could have found a more interesting thing than doing the, uh, like, at the beginning showing that the grave is getting like robbed again and stuff because then that's also like just like again on top of everything Cheryl's went through and then at the end of the movie being like oh, ha remember it's still not done yet and we take her <laughs> body out of the grave too and it's just like
1: oh, oh right geez, the grave yeah <laughs>
2: that was actually the part i i kind of like the least about the movie apart from the some of the reenactment and bad acting pieces is the film actually opens with yeah. the image of that baby that body being dragged out, and I was like, mm. I don't need this because I totally forgot about it, it on adds the first nothing time watch.
1: Oh, yeah, right. it added nothing. But I think it actually
2: would have hit harder to have ended with it. Like it, I don't know. Maybe it's there so that it lessens it. That you're like, oh, I've already seen this.
1: That's what the context is. But I, I actually totally forgot. Like even when I watched it yesterday, I was like, I didn't know why the body was being dragged out. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tried doing that whole loop de loop thing, and uh, it, I mean no, 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 it's. No, 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 yeah, I guess I guess uh, what Joe just said. Yeah, maybe just to kind of lessen it because if they just did that at the end, then it would have just been like, ah, oh, like
2: she's dead and the body's been stolen. Yeah, uh, what's he gonna do that body too?
1: Oh, we know because yeah. we've already been told he's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah. Oof. Uh, it's it, it it it's it's rough. <laughs> rough.
0: It, it's rough and but then again, like I very much enjoyed revisiting it it definitely um is near in the top of my favorite found footage movies i would say probably in my in my top 5 of found footage movies maybe cuz um i really enjoyed the the performance um especially by the the killer ed um the actress uh that played Cheryl also fantastic um you know so i think even just their two performances mm-hmm. alone are good enough for me to forget some of the other supporting ones and um and and for the most part the all the framing device like elements worked for it so um one of one of more of my favorites um mm-hmm. in the in the found footage i would say so to close out the conversation for the episode it, this is the end of found footage month here on the blay blunt cinema club so i want to ask you guys what is the most disturbing or like the most like effective use i guess like to lead to disturbing feelings, I suppose, of found footage in a, in a movie. So maybe not your favorite, but or what you just think is like, this is like top of the line, disturbing, like effective.
2: I think I would probably go with some of the sequences from as above, so below, to be honest. Like, I, I really love the horrific depictions oh. of some of the, the sins. So I like the part where we see the limbs coming out of the solid ground, but they're still moving.
0: Mm, yeah uh as above so below so fucking good um and it definitely uh like fits into the the uh adds to like the claustrophobic elements but i think my one criticism of that was like the how necessary was the filming of all of it you know Oh, a hundred percent. You yeah. know, that's one that's just like, okay, come on. And then like, and then I kind of forgot that there was a character behind the camera at one point for as above, so below, but still very, yeah. still a very good, uh, I, film though. I,
2: I almost think it, it's the film suffers a little bit because it's too well shot. It looks mm. like a professional job, um, I guess if I had a backup, I would say some of the camcorder footage from The Descent, which I recognize is yeah. not a fan footage film, but I love those shots yeah. and how they get used for scary sequences.
1: Oh yeah. That, that yeah, I like that. Like hidden found footage in a um, found footage movie. That's cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I always love that as well. Like, um, I mean, obviously, like I've mentioned, Sinister a couple times, like on mm-hmm. different episodes. Like, you know, kind of a pseudo, you know, found footage within a non-found footage. That's a uh, very effective. Uh, what about you, Trace?
1: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface mine with it's not a good movie. I would even, in fact, call this a bad movie. But right. it unsettled me and like chilled me to the bone in a way that not many films have. Uh, and it's called Megan is missing. Um, <laughs> it's it's a shitty movie. It has some terrible acting in it, but the last twenty minutes is some of the most disturbing like horror work I've ever seen in my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't let you know that this is like a like future recording episode. What well, this episode is up like now as of yeah. us recording this. Um, but yeah, Megan is missing. We did cover that on the podcast. Was a oof 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 but very very <laughs> effective though yeah
1: yeah it's i mean like it was a movie my husband made me watch it and I, the first hour i was like what 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 is good about this it is <laughs> what shit, is the value of this film <laughs> it's a terrible movie and the f- then those last 20 minutes happened but oh my god it is again content warning and it's just a rough watch <laughs> I
0: didn't. I didn't mention it in the podcast episode, but um, the the first half of Megan of Mi- Megan is Missing feels like a Harmony Korine film, but no, not, a, a, a not very good. But one of bad actor, the, not a good one. one of the not good <laughs> yeah. ones.
1: Those girls <laughs> are really bad actresses. It, but, it's really sad.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think it does get better as as it goes on, though. Um, I enjoyed that film quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I did want to, um. Uh, shout out this isn't my pick but uh, I just kind of thought about was uh, The Last Exorcism I think if you guys haven't seen it in a long time you guys should go back and rewatch it because it was another one that like kind of came out during the height of found footage stuff and people expected it to be one thing and that turns out to be something else and um, so I think if you guys haven't revisited that one that is a very good one to go revisit
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: and then um, another one that I may have mentioned before, but I'll give a shout out again is um, just in terms of like being like very scary, um, like just like very, very scary. And then also like kind of having good reasoning behind being made um, is the possession of Michael King. I don't know if you know oh, yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. That one uh, I find very just like, it's a good like scare fest, but then also it's like, okay, he's a documentary filmmaker and it's like kind of, mm-hmm you know all makes sense and then you also kind of get this like traumatic character study as well behind it too
1: yeah that was when I first started writing for bloody disgusting it came out like in 2014 I think so I like I, I I tried to watch every horror movie that came out that year and that's, how I, that's the only reason I watched The Possession of Michael King. <laughs> it's pretty good, though. It's pretty
2: good. Yeah. It, it, I think it, that's uh, the problem with films that came out around that time period, though, right? Like, it was such a glut because mm-hmm. people had seen the paranormal activity had done so well. But also, I think a lot of independent filmmakers realized, I can make this shit on the cheap and make bank. So everyone and their dog was doing a haunting, a possession, a taking. A... Oof. I mm-hmm. mean,
0: yeah, it was a... It's I find it very interesting that like because like found footage in I guess in the like the grand scheme of like horror and stuff when it comes like subgenres like yeah we had or Cannibal Holocaust but then it's like we really didn't start getting you know all the found footage stuff until Blair Witch which was in 99. So this is a fairly like very new Mm subgenre within the, the horror genre and it just but also in the time that it was created you know we're in this turn of the century with technology and stuff to where. It got saturated, like, so much. Like, I can't think of, like, a subgenre that had so many movies, but in such a short amount of time, like, all kind of spawning within that early 2000s, early 2010s range. Like, super, super interesting.
2: Now we're going to get to do screen horror for the next couple of years. Yeah.
0: yeah screen horror is uh in there i shouted out i like the cleansing hour i thought that was a fun little Mm -hmm. different take on found footage screen horror in a way um Mm -hmm. you know so i think if they continue to come up with uh you know getting a little bit more interesting and like i said uh, the uh, volume of it has went down significantly in the past few years but um you know they what comes around well
1: with host success, I I would expect we'll be getting a lot more of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm assuming there were a lot more Zoom call films yep. being made, and we will definitely be seeing those soon. So there will definitely be another <laughs> found footage month here on Blunt Cinema Club sometime in the future um thank you to the horror queers joe and trace for joining the podcast i really appreciate it go ahead and uh, no, thanks shout for out having us on. on yeah of course uh like i said i was uh, very excited to make this finally happen um if you guys want to go ahead and shout out your socials real quick
2: sure so if people want to follow me i'm at Beast on my remote and the show is at horror queers
1: on twitter and instagram and you can find me um at Traced Thurman. That's my first name Trace, the letter D and last name Thurman. Uh, and this is the first podcast I've ever recorded Stone. so I hope I hope I made sense. <laughs> oh, Did no. any of us make sense? Question.
0: You know, I it's always a very different experience whenever I listen back to the podcast when I'm
1: editing <laughs> I'm sure it to is. really
0: figure out like yeah, like what what did we talk about in this episode. So, no, this one's going to come out fantastic. They always do.
1: <laughs> oh!
0: Editor Devon here, back, welcoming you back from our little conversation with the horror queers, talking the Poughkeepsie tapes, and looking back and listening back to that episode. There were so many things that I want to say about the movie a little bit more, but I was so fucking stoned when we recorded, because it was like my second recording of the day. So, I mean, I was like... I was on one, and I also like did not have as thorough of notes as I usually do, but um, I absolutely loved having that conversation with Joe and Trace. I wish I could have talked to them for even longer than we did. Um, they will definitely be stopping on the show in the future. I will give them each their own individual episodes, so that way we can kind of get some more one-on-one time. So it is not the last that you guys will hear from Trace or Joe here on the podcast, and just once again, want to thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. Um, Like I said, we are going into cold and holiday horrors um, here in December. I'm a little bit of a Scrooge, but I do love a lot of Christmas-themed horror movies, but then I also just like the winter aesthetic of it all as well. Like, there's a special aesthetic to winter horror movies that's just different than other ones so I'm very excited to get into that we have a lot of movies to talk about we have some great guests coming on as well so make sure you guys are following the podcast page at Bloody Blunt CC on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with the new episodes and where to find them and where to listen and I will be releasing the slate of uh, movies and guests here on Twitter real soon so be on the lookout for that But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blay Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join us next week as we kick off Krampus week in style with a couple members of the Something Ghoulish fam. We are talking Krampus and John Carpenter's The Thing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.